Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Tuning in tonight, Blue Jays trailing Tampa Bay 2-1, bottom of the sixth. Just kept up, uh, catching up on some texts here to 6.30, uh, Ted says, am I the only one who sees the Oilers repeating the Everly deal again, selling low and then creating a need with that vacancy? The Oilers need a scoring winger, absolutely no doubt. We need a sandpaper skill guy, trade Maroon, and now we're talking about trading Lucic. I get the feeling we'd lose on a trade and six months from now be lamenting how we need some grit, especially if Connor gets hurt in some sort of cheap fashion. That is from Ted. Uh, Benny says Lucic needs to stay and redeem himself. Another texter says, I think it's a fair statement to make that no one was having fun last year. The Oilers brought Lucic in for leadership too, so keep him because last year's experience, good or bad, was still experience, allowing Lucic to help younger guys who also went through a slump or regression let the team grow together. Uh, This trade a player, if they have a bad year, uh, worse on management and proves nothing else, but there's no loyalty to the players. Sheldon says, Reed, the best possible thing is to move Lucic no matter what. Uh, Lucic, Yamamoto, Kajula, first-round picks, trade to Ottawa for Carlson and any right winger who has played at least 100 games off their roster. Uh, next year will be twice as bad to swallow Lucic's play and pay. K-Flash says, is it feasible to assume that the Oilers simply have a talent for killing confidence in good players? There's significant history to suggest they have. Look at those they've relinquished only to see them set another team on fire. Oil 10 says, read Dustin Brown at 28 had four seasons with less than 30 points, followed by 36. Last year had 61 at 33. The Kings were very patient. As Lucic is a Shirelli guy, he will be patient as well. Lucic will stay. That's from Oil 10. And Bruce says, four days until the Killer Dwarfs hit Edmonton at Century Casino. Thanks for adding them to your playlist. Got to keep 80s rock alive. Looking forward to some summer micro-brew shows as well. That is from Bruce. A text about music and beer. In amongst all the Milan Lucic texts. Those are always appreciated. We're, uh, we're going to do another microbrewery soon, hopefully before the end of the month. That'll be fun. It is 7.08. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. Out of Ottawa today, Eric Carlson's wife has filed an order of protection. It's basically a form of a restraining order 
against Mike Hoffman's girlfriend. Yes, uh, Mike Hoffman, also of the Ottawa Senators. Basically, the allegations is that Hoffman's girlfriend, Monica Carrick, posted hundreds of derogatory online messages aimed at her and Eric Carlson. Uh, Some of the nastiest relating to the uh, Carlson's son, Axel, who was stillborn in March. Uh, Actually, there were some prior to that uh, wishing the child dead before it was stillborn, and uh, others suggesting that the child didn't have a chance because Melinda Carlson takes painkillers. Those were some of the messages. These are not things that I'm saying. These were some of the nasty messages that were posted. This is a strange one. At, at the moment, they are allegations, but the, there was enough there for the order of protection to be filed. A.J. Jakubek, Edmonton native from the Senators Radio Network. A.J., how are you, my young friend? <laughs> Called me to talk Capital Junior Hockey League, or is that, is that what we're doing today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, buddy. We'll, we'll leave the Capital Junior Hockey League memories maybe for, I don't know, the Christmas break. That's disappointing. I, I thought that's why you're bringing me on. <laughs> well, we could talk about some Ottawa Fury and Red Blacks too. But this has there been a, has there been a uh, more unusual and soap opera like six month stretch ever for anybody in Ottawa? This is weird, man. Or any franchise? I mean, the last year has been insane. Going back to you almost get to the Stanley Cup final, you're a goal away and it's been basically downhill ever since on the ice off the ice i mean this type of thing you you can't even make this up and it's 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 a bad situation and look i mean eugene melnick is not responsible for what we're seeing here i don't see how any owner could could have prevented some situation like this but big picture uh, with everything that's surrounding the organization, and, and you know whether it's the Randy Lee case, uh, you know it's, it's still allegations, and whether it's this case, it's still allegations. You have to wait until it plays out and give due process. But the reality is, everything that happens with this franchise right now is a gong show. It's it's a complete tire fire. There's no other way to describe it, and uh, it, it's been an absolute mess in so many different. Regards, I mean, and you know, you hear rumors by the day, by the week uh, of of the franchise being sold, and and you just don't know what to believe anymore. So that, that's the thing. There's so many different rumors about so many different things that it, it's hard to really corroborate what's truth and and what is fiction, and and what is actually uh, being published here is, is is almost something that you're like, really? I mean. This seems stranger than the rumors that I'm hearing. So um, it, it's a crazy time, and, and I just hope, again, I've said it before, it reminds me of Edmonton in the mid-'90s with a good hockey market that's being dragged down by uh, a lot of other factors, and I, I just hope that we don't see scorched earth here and, and that we see the other side with a, a new building and no more drama and, and you know, eventually a good team on the ice, although I'm not sure uh, we're going to see that in the near future. And, and, you know, I think, like a lot of fans here, hoping uh, for new ownership as well because uh, you wonder if, if maybe uh, that time has passed where people will even support uh, 
uh, the franchise, given everything that is going on on and off the ice. AJ, you said it. It's it's. I mean, look in the sports world, we we deal with with passionate fans, and we know sometimes the the rumors are can get pretty extreme, where you have to say like, hold on. But yeah, th- this is right. Th- this would seem that if you just woke up now after being sick and needing to sleep till seven thirteen my time, nine thirteen. East, your time, and someone told you this, you'd be like, okay, seriously, like, why are you making this up, right? Like, that's that's the extent of the story. And you wonder, I mean, as I said in the intro, it's an allegation, but the, the court in, in Ottawa thought there was enough there to actually file the order of protection. And then you wonder between two teammates... Even if it's even if Mike Hoffman didn't know about all this, and he's he, you know, his line was I 150 percent say this didn't happen. You still wonder how this is going to wear on their relationship, and and like you mentioned, add to the whole circus that's been going on around this team for the last six to twelve months. Yeah, and and the other thing too is, I mean, you look at you know multiple tweets from the wives of of ex teammates as well and basically suggesting that this might be the tip of the iceberg. So who knows? Let's wait till it all plays out. But, you know, how how does that affect, from a hockey standpoint, what Pierre Dorian is going to do? And I can't imagine. There there are a couple of general managers in the league with some pressure points as well. I think of Brian McClellan, but, you know, that's alleviated a little bit by the fact you just won a Stanley Cup, but you've got a, a head coach in Barry Trotz that needs to be re-signed and you've got uh, for me by far the best defenseman on the market and John Carlson that needs to be re-signed and then you've got Lou Lamorello with a new job in New York trying to convince the best player that the Islanders have had at least since Pat LaFontaine to stay and, and be a part of, uh, of and be the franchise player uh, for, for what they're going to do in the future and you've got to hire a new coach as well, and maybe they're intertwined. Maybe you, you're hoping to hire a coach that convinces John Tavares that that's, you're going in the right direction. But you know, imagine being Pierre Dorian right now, and you've got an owner that, at the best of times, you would be you would characterize him as demanding, and you know, at the worst of times, maybe you'd characterize him as unpredictable and, and a few other things. So you've got that. You had, a, you had a scenario where you used to be able to bounce. Like, like if I'm in Pierre Dorian's situation right now, like, I want people and I want good hockey people and experienced hockey people to be around me to sit down and take a deep breath and say, holy cow, what do we do in this instance? And what do we do here? And you used to have Brian Murray. You, had, you used to have Daniel Alfredson. Um, you know, your assistant general manager is facing some charges. So... You're probably not bouncing important things off of him right now. Uh, your, your head coach, who you had a love in after year one, you were criticizing him and saying, if I, if I hear him say rest is a weapon one more time, I'm going to be sick or something along those <laughs> right. lines. So, so that's your head coach. You've got the thinnest group of management in, in the National Hockey League. Like, who are you bouncing things off right now? If you're Pierre Dorian, and, and in the meantime, you, you, you've got a situation where you're, you're monitoring monitoring what's going to happen with Randy Lee. You're 
trying to figure out who you're going to pick at number four in the draft. You have another first-round pick in the draft as well. You've got the best player in franchise history who, when you listen to, speaking of rumors, I mean, you know, a lot of people around town, you, you hear people say, well, I've heard from my second cousin's brother's dog that he's telling people he's not coming back. So, right. I mean, you hear different things. You don't know what to believe in terms of Eric Carlson. You know that his mentor and best friend is, is Daniel Alfredson. And you know that Daniel Alfredson has come out, you know, albeit in murky circumstances with, uh, you know, I, I think a little bit of shady reporting in terms of what was on and, and off the record, but basically saying he thinks that they need a new owner here. So that that's, you know, after two departures. So you know Eric Carlson's listening and getting advice from Daniel Alfredson. So, so that's the scenario there. Then you add this Mike Hoffman drama. Then you add the fact that Mark Stone is an RFA. And probably if Vander Kane's worth seven times seven, what's, what's Mark Stone worth? If you're signing him to a long-term deal. Uh, then you're looking at Matthew Shane, who's a year out of unrestricted free agency. Then you look at the fact that you traded a first-round pick for Matthew Shane. So if you strip all these assets... And you end up being what the oddsmakers say right now, dead last. And, hey, I know that was Vegas a year ago, but right now dead last in terms of the odds, 100 to 1. Yep. So usually if you're 100 to 1 and you're going to be dead last and if we're going through a rebuild, you say, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll be in the running for Jack Hughes. Well, they don't have that pick. So, I, I mean, this is, a, this is a gong show right now. There, there's no other way to put it. it. It is a full-on five-alarm gong show in Ottawa. And, you know, it, it, there, there's a lot of different layers to it. There's a lot of things that you can say that it's, it's not his fault or it's not their fault, but, but the reality is, from the top on down, this is a mess, and I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 I've talked to so many people in the last few months, and again, I, I, I I think the Edmonton comparison is so important because I can remember, for example, people like my uncle who were season ticket holders in the 1980s that in the 1990s said, I'm not spending another dime on this hockey team until Peter Pocklington leaves. And, you know, there, there were crowds. I remember going to a game against the Ottawa Senators in a, in a blizzard the year Alexi Ashen and Jason Arnott were, uh, were going at it for the Calder Trophy. And there, there wasn't 5,000 people there. And it ended up 7-5 Ottawa, and you're thinking, well, it's not because there aren't hockey fans here. It's because people are tired of Peter Pockington. Yeah, there was a blizzard that night, and it was two bad teams. But the bottom line was that, that was kind of around rock bottom for professional hockey or NHL hockey in Edmonton. And this this has got to be rock bottom. I mean, there can't be more. There, there can't be a, a lower layer because – I talk to the same people, the same types of people that tell me, with money, I've been a season ticket holder since day one, 1992 in the Civic Center. I sat Section H, you know, moved to the Palladium and so on and so forth, and I'm not going anymore. I'm not spending another dime yep. until Eugene Melnick sells his team. And then you got Melnick out signs. And so, I, I mean, where does this thing go? I, I just hope um, that eventually... If if the owner starts to realize that, you know what, people 
for good or for bad, are just not going to pay money to to buy tickets as long as I'm here. I got to cut a deal. I got for the best interest of this hockey club, cut a deal, get out of town. You saved the hockey club in 2003. There's no hockey team here without Eugene Belnick. He's done some good things, but you'll wonder if that time has come because if this isn't rock bottom, I don't want to know how far this is going to go. AJ, thanks for weighing in tonight, buddy. This is a strange one. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Cheers, Reed. AJ Jakubik from the Senators Radio Network. Again, the story which broke this afternoon. The uh, wife of Eric Carlson filing an order of protection against Mike Hoffman's girlfriend alleging uh, hundreds of derogatory online messages aimed at uh, Eric Carlson, her wife, and also comments about the uh, unborn son at the time who then turned out to be stillborn. Pretty crazy story. One minute timeout. Special guest next. Got a text here to 63630. Read, why don't you ever have Bob Stoffer on? He's a big fan of yours. Well, by demand, Bob Stoffer from Oilers now. Hey, Bob. That guy is a good texter. That's a he, he, and he must listen to my show. All I hope so. Bob, uh, thanks for checking in. Uh, we'll just spend a few minutes with you. Uh, we got Janine Helen coming up, uh, Edmonton Sports oh, Hall. Yeah. Of, yeah, so you would have been SID when she was uh, Panda Soccer, I imagine. Oh, no, 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 no. I was going to school when she was on the Panda oh, Soccer okay. team. So, uh, no, she was a tremendous athlete. Uh, did a great job coaching soccer in town. That should be a real good guest for you. She's a very nice lady. Bob, uh, a couple things we'll do quick hitters with you here. First of all, you know, it's interesting. We, we hear from a lot of the same people, but but we also have uh, our own audiences too. Uh, I'm getting the majority of the people tonight saying it was a terrible year. For, now, this is the majority, I'm not, but not everybody, but I'm getting a lot of people saying terrible year for Lucic. Let's bring him back and give him another year. What are the Oilers now listeners saying? Yeah, I would say yesterday it was like 30-70. Today it was like 45-55. So maybe that makes sense. I think people are reevaluating this, recognizing, hey, uh, and I'm not sure what's going to happen here, right? I mean, anything can happen. And this is a city that saw, you know, Wayne Gretzky get sold uh, to the L.A. Kings. But deals happen. I personally believe Milan logic dictates he's going to have a much better year next year. And, uh, you know, you were down at the end of your exit interview. Uh, he point blank said it was for him. It was ninety percent metal. Uh, he's gone through some difficult challenges off the ice over the last two, well, last three to four years. Some life-altering experiences in terms of having a young family, uh, and he's had one tough year, uh, one tough forty-five game stretch. So, uh, you know, for me, I always believe in the goodness in people and believe that a guy can bounce back. But that being said, it doesn't necessarily preclude that there couldn't ultimately be a trade made as well. You just, you don't know. You heard A.J. Jakubek. This is as strange a story as I've ever had to talk about. Now, we don't have to cover it firsthand because we're not on Ottawa. This is one of those, Bob, where I'm thinking, if I, if I was a talk show host in Ottawa, that's a difficult one to even approach because now there's the legal system involved. You obviously have to be careful about what you say and you have to use the word allegedly about a thousand times when you're talking about it. But when there's actually an order of protection filed, at least the court thought that there was enough there uh, that the Carlson's complaint was warranted, and it's another... I mean, uh, AJ called it a gong show. In the last 12 months, he just said it's been one act of the gong show after another. Uh, you know, Reed, uh, my father, who has long since passed, gave me some advice when people think I'm a know-it-all now. 
but I really thought I was a know-it-all in my early 20s. And he said, the older you get, the more you realize, the less you know. And, I mean, who would possibly even fathom a story like this happening? Uh, of course, you use the word allegedly. I'll say this. You're seeing the Twitter response from some of the mm-hmm. wives uh, that maybe spent some time in that organization. They certainly, based on their response, are giving an indication they think there's something to this. This is a crazy story. I can't imagine being in Pierre Dorian's shoes. I mean, you got an owner that's, uh, you know, not well liked in that marketplace. Uh, you know, it's like whatever can go wrong seemingly does go wrong for them. And and part of it for me, and I, you know, I did talk to Pierre when he was in town. Uh, for you know, we had an opportunity during actually our pregame show. Reed, you saw me yep. uh, spend some time with him, and and one of the things for me is it it, it kind of started with the tourist trade. I didn't really understand why Ottawa got worked into that deal, and that in turn, as AJ pointed out, could play a factor moving forward because right now the Colorado Avalanche have Ottawa's number one pick next year, and Ottawa's pick this year is four, so. Um, I'm not sure what to think. I don't know how they extricate themselves out of this mess. And, oh, by the way, I'm personally not a a big fan of Guy Boucher. I do know this. Mike Hoffman's valuation around the league, my guess, has has absolutely cratered tonight, Reed. Bob, the Fizzler says hi on the text line, and I hope you have a great phone. Oh, he's a a terrific guy. (laughs) Big fan of the Fizzler. Finally got to know him. Hey, Reed. Give me a call after the show. I will for sure. Bob Stoffer checking in. And Janine Helland, fresh out of the induction from the Edmonton Sports uh, into the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame, coming up after the news. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. We've been having a great show. Really appreciate your participation, both by listening and texting in. Had a phone call or two along the way as well. And uh, we're going to cap it off with uh, a great story. The Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame induction ceremony took place last night. Uh, Now, Terry Jones went into the hall, a longtime sports writer. We had Ron Miner on the show last week, uh, an outstanding wheelchair athlete. He told his great story. He got, got polio as a as a baby, basically. And uh, he told about uh, his brothers and sisters and still doing stuff for himself. We, have, we told a great story about breaking horses and training horses while being on crutches as a teen. Well, we have another great story tonight. Janine Helland is in studio. Janine, thanks for coming in. Oh, it's my pleasure. Great to meet you. Uh, you got inducted yesterday. Yesterday, uh, the sport of soccer your, uh, is your story, and we'll get to that. But I'm just curious, when someone goes through that ceremony, that you're inducted, and you're like, oh, I'm I'm all of a sudden in the Edmonton Sports uh, Hall of Fame. What did I do to deserve this? Do you kind of have those thoughts, or what was it like? Absolutely. It's, it's surreal, and it's shocking, and it's exactly like you said, what am I doing up here? You listen to all these other people's stories, and then you kind of go, I really just kicked a ball around, like... <laughs> What am I doing in here, you know? It's just, it's super humbling and and a little bit uh, surreal for sure. Okay, when it comes to just kicking the ball around, where did that that start for you? Was that, 
you know, one of the, were you one of those people? You were you were born with a soccer ball attached to your foot, or, or where did it? Where did I was it actually from? just I think born playing sports. I have two older brothers, and they're a little bit older than me, four years and eight years, and so they were always doing everything, very active. My parents were active. Uh, my dad coached everything that they did, so I literally just followed them around. If it was hockey season, I was playing hockey. If they were playing soccer, I was playing soccer. If they were doing lacrosse, I wanted a lacrosse stick. Whatever they were doing, I was doing as well. So I just started playing then, and then I kind of fell into soccer being one of my favorites, and then I also played ringette in the winter. Now, I, I, I often uh, ask this uh, of, of, of female athletes, and and look, I, I, I asked this too from my own, not experience, because it wasn't my experience, but my observation. You know, I was a kid in the 80s, and you would see female hockey players, and they were on the boys' team, because there weren't females' team, or if there were in that era... They were probably pretty rare, like in in the biggest cities, maybe. Um, did you have to play on boys' teams when you wanted to be really competitive, or were you able to play with other girls? I played on the boys' community teams up until, I think, U12. Okay. And then they had the first, like, I and I lived, grew up in the West End, and then I played on a, a Southwest um girls team because that was the one club that brought there was only a couple of clubs that started girls programs so I played with them so I didn't I didn't have to play any club soccer with boys I probably would have mm-hmm. you know but uh, um, I was really fortunate that I kind of was on that cusp of when someone decided we need to have some girls team because there's girls playing in other places across the country so we should send girls to compete with them yeah because the opportunities have totally changed oh, yeah. and obviously the I mean, we're going to talk about your experience with the Canadian women's soccer team, and they've been one of the great stories, I think, for Canadian fans watching Canadian athletes on an international scale. Uh, so you're growing up in West, uh, you're growing up in West Edmonton, and then uh, you wound up going to the U of A Pandas. Were you like recruited at the time? Was that was that an obvious step? How did that develop? Um, I was recruited, but in a, in a probably a less than traditional way because the coach of the Pandas at the time happened to be my club soccer teammate. Oh, there you go. So she was <laughs> uh, she was heavily in my ear about staying at U of A. I don't know that I really, when I look back on it now, I don't know that I really entertained going elsewhere. We had done a family trip down to um, the States, uh, and I sort of tossed around the idea of maybe doing Santa Clara. We went through, you know, near Santa Barbara, that kind of stuff, and I kind of tossed it around. But I think at the end of the day, I knew there was no way I was going to go anywhere else. She was um, a national team member at the time as well. She was the U of A coach, um, Tracy David. She's in the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was almost like, why would I go anywhere else? The other uh, national team coach, Neil Turnbull, he was in town at the time. So I was just really lucky. I didn't have to seek anything out anywhere else. I'm going to ask you a question, and if people listen to the show, even semi-regularly they, they know I ask this of a lot of people but I keep asking it because I, I often get some some unique answers and it sounds like kind of a dumb question on the surface but I think you'll appreciate it when did you know you were good at soccer you know what I mean like everybody has to have that light bulb go off in their mind where it's like oh wait maybe I can play for the pandas maybe I can play for the national team there still has to be that sort of mental recognition of your ability and the commitment that it's going to take when was that for you um, it was probably when I was about four. I think I was about fourteen or fifteen. I think I was playing U sixteen soccer, and Bert Goldberger was with Alberta Soccer at the time, and and he contacted me to say that some of the national team players were doing a little mini camp, and they were doing some fitness training and some stuff, and he really wanted me to come out, and I kind of went, you want? Why do you want me to come out? Like. <laughs> It, it just seemed kind of like, oh, well, I guess I do pretty well when I play. So I think that was probably the sort of the seed that was like, wow, maybe I can play th- with these girls long term. All right. So uh, you went to the Pandas. Janine Helland in studio, inducted last night into the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, Pandas 89 to 93. 
You won uh, Nationals in 89. Yep. And uh, Canada West twice. Uh, you were an All-Star. What position were you? Uh, when I played for Club and U of A, I was a central midfielder. Mm-hmm. And then I started on the national team there, but I very quickly was moved back to the position of sweeper. They still played with a sweeper back in right. the day. So that was my position with the national team. So I think my last year of Pandas, I played a little bit at the sweeper position. But usually I was a central midfielder when I played at home here. So... Take me through the process of being recognized as a candidate for the national team, because now, now you're moving up. Now you're on a very short list of the top players in the country. I mean, it was di- way different back then than I'm sure it is now. Um, but like I said, because I lived in the city, it was literally a phone call, and they come out and watch some games, and then they let you know that there's a camp that they want you to go to, that kind of thing. So it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't really a heavy process that I'm sure it is now. With, mm-hmm. You know, everything's gotten more complicated nowadays. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, they it, it was literally just, hey, this is a camp. We want you to come out. Can you make it kind of thing? Okay. And you made it. And I made it. And you made it. So was, made it. So was that going. right, the, the lead-up for the 95 World Cup, or were you on other... No, I, my very first trip with the national team was actually in 1989 to Denmark. Oh, so right as soon as you started Pandas, you were already... Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had right. an overlap. Um, okay. Yeah, so I played Pandas for a few years while I was playing on the national team. So we actually had a CONCACAF qualifier for the 1991 World Cup. So there was an 80... In 1988, there was a kind of like a test World Cup in China. Right. And it went very, very well. And um, so then in 1991, they decided to have the first Women's World Cup, and that was in China as well. And we had to qualify... There was only one team from our region that went the, in CONCACAF, and so we had to qualify against the States. So we made it all the way to the CONCACAF final and then lost to the States. Right, who had yeah. already were right. really and established, so then, yeah. Exactly. And they went on to win that World Cup. So... Um, but in 95, there was two spots that opened up for the CONCACAF region. So then we were we qualified as the second-place team from CONCACAF, and same thing in 99. All right, so you got to play in, t- in two wor- uh, World Cups, 95 and 99. Just take me through, and then you were, we should mention you were the captain in, in, in 99. Th- those moments of just playing in the biggest tournament in that sport and wearing the the Canadian uniform. Can you possibly put that into words for people who will never be able to experience that? Well, first of all, it's um, your knees shake, you know, during the anthem. Your knees shake when the FIFA march comes out. You know, it's just, it's it's goosebumps all over because, you know, you see it, you've heard about it, um, but then you actually get to live it. You get to stand in that lineup for it. You, you can't really describe the feeling to someone that hasn't ex- experienced it, but you can probably imagine. Um, and uh, just the fact that when you step on the field, especially at the World Cup, you're playing against the best players in the world. You know these players, you've heard about these players, and now you actually have to go 1v1 against them. So it's a little bit intimidating too. When, when the tournament was here in, in, uh, in Canada in 2015 with Edmonton, even though Edmonton didn't host the final, hosted Canada's first game and hosted more games than any other city, mm-hmm. you kind of think like, yeah, like that's I'm one of the players that helped get this team rolling and maybe something I did led led to this? I think a little bit because we had, um, in my 10 years that I was on the national team, we had a couple of lulls where there was, you know, big chunks of time, 10 to 14 months where we didn't get together. There was no tournament for us to play. There was probably two times, well, maybe only one time in my career that it was that long, but there was times, like it took me 10 years, granted I had two knee knee injuries during that time, but it took me 10 years to get 49 caps or whatever it was that I got. And 
kids are getting that now in two and three years. Right. You know, so I like to think that us persevering and sacrificing and playing for no money, really, that, you know, kind of kept the program alive until that 99 World Cup, which was a catalyst for the whole women's game in North America, kind of came around. Like, I think if we, I like to think that since we persevered through those times, you know, it kind of played a part. That's amazing. You went that long between like that's basically a part-time national team, which yeah. which it's hard to be successful under those yep. circumstances, right? Like, I even I had a rugby player in Gordon McCrory from the national team a couple of weeks ago, and they faced the same problem, right? They're not as centralized; they don't play as often. Right. So, how do you beat Scotland when they come to town? And on they're Saturday, facing right? the same thing we did in the '90s: the yeah. funding issues, right? You right. Know, you don't have the money to get you together. It's that vicious circle. So. Yeah, it's, it was the same thing back in the early 90s. Janine Helen in studio on Inside Sports, went into the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame last night. She's telling you about her incredible soccer career. Can you stick around? We want to ask you sure. about the, the big vote tomorrow and some other stuff that you're doing. Be it's 7.46. You're listening to 6.30 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, in studio with Janine Helen, now in the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame. Incredible soccer career with the U of A Pandas and the Canadian national team. Uh, Southside Rob texting in, who's a big uh, U Sports Canada West guy. I think he used to play Dinos hockey. We'll forgive him for that. Uh, Reed, is Janine related to former U of A Golden Bears hockey players Chris and Jeff Helen? If so, I knew their great family from Calgary as we played sports with them. Congratulations to her Hall of Fame induction. Chris and Jeff. Jeff is my husband, and Chris is my brother-in-law. There you go. Southside Rob is now thrilled to ask that question. So they played Golden Bears hockey. They did. Did they play for for Coach Drake? They did. Awesome. Both of them did. And both won national championships with Coach Drake. Good. Good stuff. And, of course, the uh, celebration of life for Claire Drake is going to be Thursday at the the Butter Dome, uh, obviously going to be thousands of people there. Ken Hitchcock, Tom Rennie, yep. among the uh, the bigger names coming in for that for sure. So that's pretty cool. Janine, thanks a lot for dropping in. So you, you kind of gave us the the Coles notes of your. So I almost hate to make you compress your career to, to <laughs> eight minutes there, but yeah, I think you gave us a, a good sense of it for sure. Um, and, I, and I asked you about the 2015 Women's World Cup that was hosted by Canada. A lot of games in Edmonton. In about uh, ten hours or so, we'll find out if this North American bid for the 2026 Men's World Cup will come to Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Uh, Look, you were on the the women's player, but certainly you must be pretty hopeful that that the men's tournament could have at least some games in Canada, possibly in eight years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, that coming to Canada along with the CPL is just going to hopefully turn things around for Canadians in general in terms of understanding the game, um, falling in love with the game, and following the game. Well, and and I know from the Olympics and the World Cup, and and I and I think I, I know the struggle for the non-hockey sports. I'll just I'll just call them to get to try to maintain that uh, attention and viewership when it's not the Olympics or the World Cup. But I think the Canadian women's team has captivated a lot of people with Christine Sinclair and the dramatic bronze medal going back a couple Olympics and and, and all that kind of stuff. But the the men's team, let's face it, they're still kind of a punchline, right? So. If 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 we get this tomorrow, what has to happen in the next eight years for the Canadian men to be? I mean, they they they'd get a host spot. How do they become competitive, more relevant on the international stage? Well, I think we're going to learn pretty quickly whether that's going to happen or not. Um, John Herdman has taken over 
the men's yep. program, right? Who was the the women's coach, and he was very successful with that. His his strength is his motivation and his team building and his culture and that kind of thing, and getting the most out of his players. So hopefully that he can do that on the men's side and translate that to the men's game. And he's also not afraid to bring in the young players, the new players, maybe not the famous names. He's willing to bring in, you know, the the former players. He's not afraid to move players around. On the women's side, I would assume it would be the same on the men's side. So giving these opportunities to the young, these young players like the Alfonso Davies and those kind of things, um, you know, I think I think that's going to help people learn about the the team and get attached to these young players and then watch them go through their career over the next eight years. I'm going to ask you the, 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 the sexist question of the night, but again, this is one I've asked other people. Uh, you know, you, your husband and your brother-in-law played a high level of sports. You played a high level of sports. Do, do women and men have to be coached differently? Like, if you were coaching a, a boys' team or a men's team, would you coach them, approach it if you were coaching a female team? I don't know that you necessarily have to coach differently, but you need to understand that the the, t- the athletes are driven differently. Okay. And you could have a male athlete that you you learn probably relates better to maybe how you would coach a female athlete and, and the opposite, sure. but in general, okay. you're going to have... You know, they, they're driven differently. You know, um, I have a daughter and a son, and I've never coached my son's team. That's sort of always been left up to my husband. But, um, you know, boys just, they're different. They they react in a scenario differently, and same with girls. Um, I don't know that you have to coach them differently when it gets down to the technical aspect of the game. I think you just have to understand how you're going to get the best out of them being a different type of athlete. Janine, we're going to have to do this again. We're running a little bit of time here, but let people know uh, what you're doing these days because you're still doing a lot of important stuff. Uh, uh, right now, I'm working with Kidsport Edmonton. It's a charity in the city, and we pay registration fees for low-income kids so they can participate in sport, and I'm pretty proud of that because all the opportunities that I've been given growing up, I, I think every kid should get to experience that, whether they have money or not, what their family situation is, shouldn't impact whether they get that opportunity. So that's what I put most of my effort into right now. And where can people look into that if they want to donate or just find out more? Kidsport Edmonton. Easy stuff. Janine, thanks a lot for coming in. Great to meet you. Uh, let's stay in touch because I'll, then I can, I gave, you know, we'll talk about your career in maybe like 16 minutes instead of eight like we did tonight. <laughs> thanks so much Sound for having fair? me. And congratulations again. Thanks again. Janine Holland, now a member of the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame. Also tonight you heard from Bob Stoffer, A.J. Jakubik, Eskimos GM Brock Sunderland, and Kelly Rudy was on the show. Eskimos at Winnipeg on Thursday, 5 o'clock countdown to kickoff. And the game will start at 6.30 here on 6.30 Chet. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer, and the producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. More on the Eskimos tomorrow night, and uh, we'll talk about whatever happens with the World Cup bid for Canada, the United States, and Mexico. My name is Reed Wilkins. Have a great night. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.